You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hi, my name is Parker. Um, I have been attending Free City for about five years now. Um, I go to the Topeka City Group. And um, currently I serve on communion and in kids. So... Um, This morning, the uh, sermon reading will be from Psalm 57, which is on page 446 in the Bibles underneath your seats, if you're using one of those. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Um, Father, we just thank you for the chance to gather as a body um, in this place. We thank you for your word and um, the promises you've given us to, given to us through your word. Um, we just pray that you would take this passage and um, just impress it on our hearts today and this week as we reflect on um, the sermon from today. I lift up um, whoever is teaching us today. I just pray that you would make their words clear and um, a clear message um, from you, that you would take away anything that is not meant to be heard by us, um, that you would just give them um, words from your mouth. Um, And Father, I lift up this space that we get to worship you in. Um, I'm just thankful for this building and the people who um, sacrificed to let us gather here. Thank you for the custodians and um, anybody else who's part of making Sundays happen for us. Um, And we just lift up the teachers and the students and the administrators um, who will be coming back to school soon. We pray that you um, are giving them rest and um, just preparing their hearts for the upcoming year, whether they're a teacher who will be serving or a student who will be learning um, and growing within these walls. We pray that you would um, prepare them for the next year and that you would ultimately reveal yourself to them, that they would maybe know you. Um, Please just show us how we can serve the school in any way this coming school year. Thank you, Lord. Um, It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. 
Good morning. Welcome to Free City. Um, my name is Brandon Williams, and I have the pleasure of preaching this morning. And I've been a part of a group. We've been meeting at 6.30 a.m. on Tuesdays, kind of preparing to kind of introduce some new people into the preaching team. And so I am very excited about this opportunity. But first, I want to say welcome. If this is your first time here at Free City, we're so thankful you're here. You have a place here, and we invite you in. If this is your 100th time coming to Free City, welcome back. Welcome back. It's so good to see y'all's faces and just the impact that we have on each other living in community. It is truly a blessing. And so Psalm 57 is about God's steadfast love and faithfulness when it doesn't seem real. And so me being up here is a testament to God's steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm a guy from Mississippi. You don't get this accent in the Midwest. Um, yeah, I had to address it. Um, and my wife is actually from Texas. And we met at a summer camp in Texas. And here we are, a part of a church in Lawrence, Kansas. And yeah, amen. The only thing I can credit that to is God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And the Psalms, they do a great job of showing how much freedom there is in being real before God. As we have heard throughout the summer, the Psalms are powerful songs. Literally, they would be sung in times of joy or pain. They cover the spectrum from joyful praise to sorrowful anger. From God, you are so good. To God, do you even hear me? The heights and depths of life are covered by the Psalms. They reflect a rawness of the up and downs of life. Often when we don't know what to say, we look back on what already has been said to help give us words. Psalm 57 is a psalm of responding to an overwhelming situation. So my question before we start is, personally, how do you respond when you feel overwhelmed? In this psalm, David's literally surrounded by an army real people. In our day and age, it doesn't seem like we're surrounded by an army very often. But what we are surrounded by are anxieties, fears, and they feel just as real as if there was an army around us. This could be life has become too much, too many events, too little time, never a break to rest. For me, the first time I remember, I consciously remember being anxious, I was in 10th grade. And I went to bed, it was probably nine o'clock, and I closed my eyes, and out of nowhere, this just flood of fears, doubts, anxieties. I didn't even know what they were, but all I knew was something wasn't right. Nine turned to 10, 10, 11, 12, one, two. Next thing I know, I'd been up all night. The reason was I kept promising myself, if you close your eyes, you'll calm down. If you close your eyes, it'll all go away. If you close your eyes, maybe you won't have to realize that it's real. I kept closing my eyes, but nothing changed. Time just went by. This still happens to me today. I wake up at 3 a.m., but it's different now. It's job, money, bills, the future, my, my marriage. I mean, it's just, it floods me. I wake up at 3 a.m. as if my mind's been rolling for hours. And I hope some of you in here resonate with that. 
because we want to address that. We want to see that feeling, those fears, and we want to say, God, what do you call us to do in these moments? So Psalm 57 is a psalm written by David, as we see in the little intro. So David is being pursued by Saul, and he's um, hidden in a cave. And so little backstory. So at this point, David has already been anointed the next king. But right now, King Saul is still in power. And if we know one thing about people in power is they will do anything to keep their power. And so what Saul has done here, he has already attempted to kill David. Now David has fled. Now Saul and his army is in pursuit of David. And so at this point, David has found refuge in a cave. But we'll see in this, he sees and hears that his enemies are surrounding him and they're closing in. So the main point that we want to keep going back to throughout this sermon is this. God is a savior who delights in rescuing his people, not only from their sins, but also their circumstances. God is a savior who delights in rescuing his people, not only from their sins, but also their circumstances. So we're going to do this by three main points. We're going to uh, divide this text up into three points, three sections, and there are going to be three questions. And at the end of each, we're going to answer those questions. And the first question, whose strength do you want? The second question, what in your life do you need to put name to? And then finally, will you worship while you wait. Will y'all pray with me? God, you are good, you are faithful, and your love is steadfast and always right on time. We ask for forgiveness, and when we doubt that, God, in this moment, I pray that you would illuminate truth as we go to your word and answer hard questions. God, you are good. In your name we pray, amen. So, point one, whose strength do you want? This is going to be verses one through three. Verse one, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. We're going to break this down. We're going to go through it slowly through the entire text. We're going to go verse by verse and use these verses to help answer our questions. So the first thing, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. It's important to note what kind of mercy David's asking for here. This is not a, hey, God, I've sinned. I need mercy. I need your grace. This is, God, when I look at my circumstances compared to my abilities, I realize there's nothing I can do. Show mercy to me. Show grace to me because you're my only option. In theory, this is super easy. We're in trouble. We run to God. We know he protects us. We know he loves us. It's a safe place to go. Well, sin has made this a little bit more difficult. Now our heart's natural rhythm, our heart inclination is no longer to go to God. Now it's to go to whatever we feel like will satisfy us. The way I want to phrase this is we numb. So examples of numbing agents, we have alcohol, sex, drugs, social media, YouTube, isolation, maybe even self-hate. Or maybe there's another possibility. Maybe our worst fear is putting our hope and faith in God 
and then him not answering. Because then we're faced with the realistic question of, what does that say about me? Does God not care? Does God not love me? Before long, we ventured into, God, maybe you're not as good as I thought you were. As we numb, just for a moment, we feel like everything is okay. The problem arises when the pain and fear always come back. And then we have to numb more and more and more. The truth is, we never learn quick enough. The idol could never save us. Our sin truly destroys us, yet we hope that it will save us. So we run back to what destroys us, and we say, be merciful to me. Insert your numbing agent here. Be merciful to me. I need you. When in reality, we're called to take refuge in something much greater. So the next part of the verse So be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. So Psalm 27 is another psalm written by David, and so what he says about refuge is this. For he, speaking of God here, for he will hide in his shelter, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent, he will lift me high upon a rock. Imagine a tent, why do we go into a tent? Because it protects us from the elements. The rain, the sun, the snow, whatever it is, it protects us. Being set high upon a rock, imagine a mountain. No matter how much flood comes, you're safe. So that is the refuge David is seeking. That no matter the circumstances, I'm going to be safe because of who is protecting me. And so where does he want this refuge? In the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storm of destruction pass by. When I think of in the shadow, I want you to think of one of the little kids that goes to this church and how when they're running around and they might fall and scrape their knee, their elbow, or they might get startled, they get scared, where do they go? They go right to their mom or dad and they clench onto their leg and they say, I need you. And every single time the parent leans down low, wraps their arms around them and says, I'm here. That's the refuge that David's seeking. It's a personal refuge. And I don't want it to be mistaken here. The cave is an example of refuge. But David wants something more. He wants a refuge that can only be found in the God who created him. That is the refuge that David's seeking here. And so the verse ends in a promising way, till the storms of destruction pass. He knows they're going to pass. But a question we need to ask ourselves is, where will we be when the storm passes? Are we going to be clenched onto our favorite numbing agent, just hoping the pain goes away? And if it doesn't, we just add more and more and more? Or are we going to be found in the shadow of our Savior's wings? Because we do have two options there. Verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. There's two things to note here. David will cry out to God, and God will fulfill his purposes for him. Notice something here. He doesn't say God's going to fulfill his, David's purposes for David. He doesn't say, Brandon, I'm going to fulfill your purposes according to you. He says, I'm going to fulfill my purposes for you. David has centered his heart knowing God's plan for him is better than his desire for instant gratification. 
David wants to be safe, but he knows that he can trust in God's plan because his ways are higher than ours. A story I kind of think of with this, me and my wife, we have a dog, Shay, if you follow her on Instagram, Shader Day, you've seen it, yep, you've seen it, follow her. Uh, every Saturday morning, we take her to the dog park, and this specific Saturday morning, we were coming back from the dog park, and there was this probably one foot by one foot turtle in the middle of the road, and I was like, we got to pull over, we got to save its life. Um, so we pull over, I get out, I get about... 20 feet away when I see the head of the turtle. And you're probably like, this is fitting. A guy from Mississippi knows about turtles. Um, But I get about 20 feet away from the turtle. I see the turtle, and I realize it's a snapping turtle. And I'm like, well, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. And so this turtle didn't realize, bro, I'm trying to save your life here. He just kept snapping at me and kept pushing me away. And I imagine the cars going by were like listening to me. I was like, this dude sounds like he's from the south, and he's messing with a turtle. He, he's definitely not from here. Um, but realistically, how often are we the turtle in that situation where God has this plan for us? It's laid out perfectly, but we're like, no, that's not what I had in mind. I'm not going to do that. We don't manufacture God's will. He fulfills it for us. That's what David's saying here. I don't want to be in charge. God, you are my safety, you are my refuge. Have what you have for me and fulfill it. Verse three, we're gonna split this up into two sections by that Selah, that rest right there. And so 3a, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. This doesn't mean that everyone who opposes us will lose. Parents, when your kid is refusing to go to bed at night, you can't just like read this verse and say, he will put to shame him who tramples on me. That's not what this verse is saying. This also doesn't mean that every person's going to walk out of this room tomorrow and everything's going to be different. That's not what it's saying here. What this is saying is there's a God who is bigger and working things together for our good. His ways are higher than ours and our prayer should be for him to answer or ask from his vantage point. There's a God who is bigger and better working things together for our good. But we don't want to take refuge in that because we're scared of what it will say about us if it doesn't happen the way we want it to. So God will send from heaven and save me. That is a future promise right there. He will But something we need to focus on right now is that theologically, God does not change. A common thing I hear is, well, there's a God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. No. Scripture is one meta-narrative story explaining the truths and revealing truths about the same God. And so when he says he will send and save me, what David is saying is he will sin and save me because when I think of things passed down from generations, stories told to me, he already has. And he always has, which means he always will. And something else, God's love is perfectly just. And God's justice is perfectly loving. So when he says, he will put to shame him who tramples on me, this is from God's perspective of what justice is. This doesn't mean that our image of justice and God's image of justice are the same thing. When something tragic happens, we often too quickly 
question God, then our questions turn to anger. We say, God, you should have done it this way. All we're doing, we're fulfilling our promises we made to ourselves rather than what God has for us. Because like we said, it's easier to rely on our strength than it is to rely on the strength of God. Because when you rely on the strength of God, you let go. And the thing we don't want to do is let go. The conclusion of verse 3. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. This highlights the coming love and faithfulness. David is singing this truth, but it has not come yet. And when we talk about steadfast love, that's a very Christian term that's thrown around, but nobody ever really defines it. So let's go to the Psalms. Psalm 136, 1, as well as 118, 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. God doesn't change. His love doesn't change. It's steadfast, and it endures forever. Or Psalm 63, 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So what this tells us about God's steadfast love is that it's good, it endures forever, and it's better than life. And as we'll see towards the end, this should lead to my lips praising you. How often do we mistake God's love as late? I imagine Mary and Martha after the death of Lazarus in John 11, they proclaim, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. That's raw. In my personal life, I have a story like this. My grandmother, she was the one who first opened a Bible with me. She's the one who taught me how to pray. She loved me more than life itself. Well, when I was in late middle school, early high school, she was diagnosed with dementia. And the woman who taught me how to pray within three years would look at me and have no idea who I was. And I remember just being in my room, just being so angry and saying, God, where are you? I'm praying and nothing's happening. It seems like you're anywhere but here. When we watch injustices like the Ukraine occur, God, where are you? Do you care? Or when something as tragic as the latest mass shooting happens, God, where are you? Because it seems like you're anywhere but here. We have promises that we remind ourselves of in these times. Our promise is God will send his love and faithfulness, He will send his justice. Our promise is he is present on our behalf to work these tragedies together for his glory. Our promise is that he feels our pain just like we do. Our promise is that he hates to see his children hurting. Those are the promises we remind ourselves of when we say, God, where are you? But yet so often... We run to other things. We attempt to seek refuge in the storm that is hell-bent on destroying us rather than the safe refuge revealed over generations of faithfulness. And we do it because our strength is easier. 
So that is the brunt of this section. Whose strength do you want? Because God offers his strength and delights in saving his people from their circumstances. Point two. This is going to be, what are you scared to name? This is verses four through six. So verse four. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And so there's a lot of metaphors there. And I don't know about y'all, but the first time I read it, I was like, what does this mean? And so let's define those. In the midst of lions, there is a danger rightfully associated with lions. So being in the midst of lions, think of Daniel in the lion's den. The reason that was his punishment is because it was unsurvivable. What David is saying here is when I look at my situation, I see something I can't survive. And if we put ourselves in that, if we are surrounded by lions, we would just simply admit we're dead. There's no options. We're surrounded. We're done. And so the next one is lie down among fiery beasts. Fiery beast is a phrase used to describe spiritual warfare. So David's surrounded by something as tangible as a lion and something as intangible as a spiritual warfare he can't even see happening. So he's surrounded on both ends. And then teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. He sees them, he names them, and they're making their intentions known. They're saying, David, we're coming for you. You're done, you're surrounded, you're dead. Where's your God? He can't even save you right now. Not only does he see them, he hears them. All of these metaphors point to one thing. David is scared. When we are surrounded, we are really scared. David sees and hears what's coming. But let's not miss something. David is bold enough to give name to what is surrounding him. He looks at his enemies and names them. We could so easily just let things go by and act like they're not there. We could be surrounded by lust, pride, selfishness, envy. And those things don't become real until we put a name to them. David is real enough to look at what is surrounding him and name them. The reason that we do this is not so that they magically go away. Just because we give name, just because I say I'm envious of this, doesn't mean that that envy is going to go away. But it's a starting point. But it's easier when we have control of the narrative saying, it's not a big deal. I can get it under control tomorrow. Maybe even one more time won't hurt because nobody even knows it's happening. We don't name it because it's easier that way. And then verse 5 really seems out of place. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David sees what's surrounding him, but his confidence is fixed in another place. There are two things mentioned here. Above the heavens, over all the earth. This is echoing Genesis 1. God created what? The heavens and the earth. David would have heard this story passed down over generations. And so when he's saying, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. 
He's saying, God, you are mightier than the lions, more powerful than the fire of my enemies. God's glory consumes all of of heaven and earth. And this is what I really want us to hear right here. He is trusting in what has been shown for generations as true rather than a moment when it feels like it's not. It is okay to be in a moment and feel like maybe this isn't true. In those moments, we remind ourselves of the promise of God that he will send his steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse six, he kind of refocuses his eyes. He's looked at his enemies, he's named them, he's fixed his eyes on God. Now he looks back and he sees what his enemies are doing. They set a net for my steps, they're trying to entrap me. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. So here, David is explaining what they're doing. They're digging a pit, they're setting a trap for David to walk into. But what they don't realize, and it's actually ironic, the pit they're digging for David is what they are going to end up falling into and being entrapped. And I think that is sin against God, is the pit they're digging. God has anointed David, and they're doing everything they can to try and stop. They're taking matters into their own hands to stop that from happening. But what this is really speaking to is the nature of sin. Sin, by nature and definition, entraps. Sin entraps the person who is using it. The works of Saul's army's hands is what will lead to their ultimate downfall. When you think about the Gospels, think of Judas. His greed and envy is what led him to betray the Savior that washed his feet. That greed and envy is the same thing that led to his downfall. Sin entraps, it grabs, it holds on. Sin is not a pet we can let off the leash and play with. But yet we trust our pride and our strength that we can handle it. One of the enemy's best tools is the ability to allow us to think we're in control. Church, we are not in control. Romans 6 tells us, um, we were a slave to sin. What that means is there's nothing we could do to break the bondage, the control of sin. But yet, generationally, we still think we have it under control. Our strength is enough. Maybe we just don't name it. If we act like it's not there, it's not there. If I numb it, it won't hurt. If it doesn't hurt, then it wasn't real. But then it comes back. Sin is an agent to steal, kill, and destroy. But our nature is to welcome it in like a dear old friend. What are you scared to give name to? Because you have access to God who delights in rescuing his people from their sins and their circumstances. There is no sin too big for you to take it to the foot of the cross. There is no sin too big that it can't be dealt with. Now we move to point three, which will close us out, verses 7 through 11. Will you worship while you wait? I think this is the hardest question for us to answer truthfully. Naturally, it's easy to say, of course, I'll worship while I wait. 
what else do I do when I come in here on Sundays? David is still surrounded. David is still scared. And we really resonate with that. The feeling of being surrounded, maybe even suffocated by life closing in on you to where all you can feel is a paralyzing fear of just sitting. David's answer, we'll see, was to fix his eyes on God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And now he's worshiping. His lips are singing praise. Verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Right now, David is with about three to 400 men. We're not sure about women and children, but he's with other people. But he says, I will. This is a personal, individual call to worship. But if you look back to verse 6, he says, my soul was bowed down. But now he says, my heart is steadfast. So what changed? What changed is David fixed his eyes on God. He fixed his eyes on the coming steadfast love and faithfulness. He fixed his eyes on what is true even in a moment when it didn't seem true. David had a steadfast heart because God's heart is steadfast. This is not of David's doing. This is a a worshipful heart that reflects the heart that is coming to save. The old saying is, you become what you look at. The more you look at Christ, the more you're going to become Christ-like. The more you allow your heart to be molded by the word of God, by spending intentional time praying and reading of scripture, the more your heart is going to be molded to reflect and overflow those truths. Verse 8, awake my glory, awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. David's personal instruments, he was musically gifted, were the harp and lyre. We see in um, 1 Samuel that the first time Saul attempts to kill David, he's actually playing the harp and lyre. These are instruments used for praise and worship. In the Old Testament, when someone was fearful, they were in anguish, they would tear sackcloth as a sign of that. That's not what David's doing here. His circumstances haven't changed. He's still surrounded. But his heart has changed. It's no longer bowed down. It's now steadfast. This doesn't seem like a time for joy or praise. But what he's saying, awake my glory, what does that mean? Awake. I will awake the dawn. When you wake up in the morning, it kind of takes a little bit of time to get going, at least for some people. I wake up, I'm ready to go. But you can ask my wife. Um, She hates it. Um, But he's saying awake. There's a stirring that David's inviting here. Stir in me, God. I'm not there yet, but I want to be, and you can do it. Stir in me, awake in me. And the way that I can awake, one of the ways is by worshiping. And so I was, I was trying to think, what would David be singing here? First Chronicles 29, 11 came to mind. Listen to this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted 
as the head above it all. That is fixing our eyes on truth. Regardless of our circumstances, God is in control. And we are invited to find refuge in the God who is in control. And he delights in saving his people. He delights in it. So practically, how can we invite this stirring? I think there's three main ways. The first, we invite stirring in our hearts by devoting to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer, the reading of God's word. And then this one's going to sound a little weird. Individually and collectively singing. Reading of scripture, devoting ourselves to prayer, and individually and collectively literally singing out loud. And if you know anything about me, I cannot sing. A story, I was in the youth choir at my church growing up, very Southern Baptist grow up, youth choir, and I literally showed up and they couldn't cut people. I didn't know that. I thought I made it. And yeah, that was a shock when I graduated. Um, But I would always find a way to stand right in front of the mic because every single time our music minister found a reason to move me. The lighting was bad. The heights were off. Oh, that mic's dead. Then he'd move it to another spot. And, you know, I like to think Ethan wouldn't do that, but he also hasn't heard me sing, so we'll see. But seriously, if we devoted ourselves and our families to prayer, the reading of Scripture, and singing praises, we would find our, our heart fixed on God's promises rather than whatever we feel is real, whether fears, anxieties, emotions. Our perspective would change. David had a gift here, the harp and lyre. Not everyone has that talent. But scripture tells us God has given each of us a gift. And my exhortation is there's no better way to use that gift than to glorify the God who gave it to you. Think, if God knitted you in your mother's womb, then what that means is he knitted you knowing this would be your gift. So what I say, if you can sing, sing loud. If you can cook, cook good food, then invite me over. If hospitality is your thing, open your home. But as we heard with Pastor David, do it because God deserves it. Not because it's your gift. Do it because God deserves it. And he is worthy of all praise that we could ever give him plus Verse 9, we see two people who are impacted um, by us giving thanks and praising God. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. We see among the peoples, among the nations, among the people, that is us. That is free city, the local church, the global church, the people of God. We are in Central Middle School. We are in Lawrence, Kansas. We are on this earth to worship and glorify God. And we do that the way God intended in community. 
and I, it is scary. I know it's scary to be vulnerable, but all, if you are found and you have been covered by the blood of Christ and you have been redeemed, then you can say, if nothing else in my life, I can say I know God is faithful now because Jesus Christ was faithful when he died on the cross. He died the death I deserved in my place, and I promise you that unbelief will be crushed by the weight of Jesus' sacrifice. We also have things like life transformation groups, LTG, city groups, to where we come together in smaller groups. And as the scripture says, we give thanks to God. We remind each other of truth. We say, hey, I see your circumstance. I see it. Here's a promise of God. I can't make it go away. I can't promise it's going to be gone tomorrow. But I can promise that if God loved you enough to send Jesus and he died for you, then I can promise he loves you enough to come right now. And on the flip side, we have people that come and remind us of that truth because we need it. Church, we are not made to be on this walk individually. We are made to be on this walk in community. The way I like to say this, we have a God whose love is unwavering in favor of us, and we have people who have been transformed by the love of Christ alongside us. And when we have those two things, we can confidently face any fear, any anxiety. I want to speak specifically to the families of Free City real quick. Families of Free City, I believe you have this calling in a more intentional way. I exhort, I encourage you, get your kids, get your extended family, come together, read the word, pray. And literally sing. And the reason I say this is, I can imagine, I don't have kids, but I can imagine how mundane it is when you're trying to read or pray and your kids are running around and they don't want to do anything, but impact is being made. There's a foundation that is being laid. Fight for your families. Because I can promise you there is an enemy who is fighting hard for them. Church, come around families. Come around little ones. Speak truth to them. Remind them that culture is not truth. Remind them that we have something greater. The second group, praises are among the nations. This is evangelism. And I know as soon as someone says that word, it gets scary. If you're scared, you don't know what to say, it's okay. If you're scared, you're going to mess up. Me too. I promise you there's fear associated with evangelism. There's fear associated with telling someone about Jesus. But I want to promise you this. When you do life with someone, naturally things are going to happen, and you can invite them in. Because the world is filled with real people with real pain and real problems who need the real answer, and that answer is Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be steadfast in your love for them like God's steadfast love is in pursuit of you. We can use the faithfulness of God to remind ourselves and others that whether on heaven or on the earth, Life and these pains will be made right. Verse 10. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the, to the clouds. 
This is covering the heavens. It's covering the clouds. Those cover the earth. It's an encompassing. And what Romans 8 says is, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation. Listen to this. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason for that is that God's love can't be moved and he values you more than death more than angels or rulers or height or depth. He values us more than all of creation. We know this because he valued us enough to send his son to die. That's how serious God is about redeeming and saving his people from their sins and their circumstances. So my question is, if he values us this much, why would we not Go to him for refuge. The steadfast love of God is not dependent on our circumstances. The exalted God mentioned in this scripture is the same God who transcended the boundary between heaven and earth to enter in. Remember, the circumstances for Jesus weren't ideal. He was surrounded by men whose actions were clear. His reward for entering in was dying a criminal death he did not deserve. Jesus knows what it's like to be surrounded and need a place for refuge. That's why he's the perfect place to go for refuge. It's because we have a refuge who understands. We have a God who has been surrounded and needed a place to go. Our circumstances cannot move us from the love of God given in Christ Jesus. And I don't want to miss the good news here. God is exalted. Jesus is exalted. And he says we are more than conquerors. Let me remind you, it is not us. It is not you. It is not our emotions. And it is definitely not our fears and anxieties that makes us a victor. It is Christ Jesus who makes us the victor. And he is the victor. He defeated sin. He defeated death with the resurrection. That is who I want to go to for refuge. Verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So why can we worship while we wait? Because when we worship while we wait, we fix our eyes on the God who finds joy in redeeming his creation from their circumstances. And that's going to lead to an overflow of worship. We know that God is faithful because the scriptures tell us story after story of God's faithfulness. We can trust God because of our fellow church members' testimony of God's faithfulness to them. We can trust that if God was faithful to his people then, all through the Old Testament and New Testament, then he will be faithful now and forever because God doesn't change. In a moment of doubt, we need look no further than the cross to be reminded of steadfast love and faithfulness. And so right now we're currently in the in-between. We live in the coming, but not yet. We can still reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness and the steadfast love of God because Scripture has revealed that to us. 
and sin has messed things up. It is way more complicated than it should be. It's not the way God intended. It has been distorted. But we have the promise that just like Jesus came once, he's coming again. And this time, he's coming with power and authority and victory. And so one of the ways that we work in the in-between, one of the ways we worship in the in-between is through communion. And there's three main ways that we invite you to come into communion. The first, if you are a believer and you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and you're walking in a newness of life, we invite you to come down. And here we have bread that symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you. And then we have grape and wine, grape juice and wine down here that symbolizes the blood of Christ shed for you. You can tear it off, dip it in. We also have gluten-free options in the back, individually wrapped crackers and grape juice that symbolize the same truth. Another way is we have these black curtains where our prayer team is, and you can go to them with the biggest ask in the world or just strength for today. As big or as little as you need, we're there. As descriptive or as vague as you want to be, we're here. And we're not promising it'll all go away, but we're promising to be there alongside you. And the last way is, if you're unsure about Christianity, Jesus Christ, everything I've said, I invite you to stay seated. No one's going to notice. It's going to be crazy moving around. Stay seated and maybe just ask God, if this is all true, would you reveal yourself to me? Let us pray. God, thank you. In the midst of our being surrounded, our anxieties, our fears, God, you are working. And when we say, God, where are you? You're right behind us whispering, I've been here the whole time. My steadfast love and faithfulness is coming. Hang on, remind yourselves of my promise and truth because it's coming. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. God, I pray that our worship would be fruitful and that we would fix our eyes on you. We would lay aside all the fears, doubts, and failures that we bring into this place. And as we approach the table, we would focus on you and that our lips would praise. All this in your name we pray. Amen.